Have you ever, um, have you ever gotten into something, been sure that you could handle it, and then realize a little too late after you've gotten in that you're in over your head? Maybe you've tried to save some money on a home improvement project or a, an auto repair project, and then all of a sudden you get too far into it and realize, ah, this is beyond my expertise. I know uh, uh, I tried to save some money. I was going to do Rachel's appendectomy several months ago, and man, when I got in there, I, re- I had to take her to the hospital. That was, that was too far. That's not a true story. Um, this one is, though, I had a friend in high school in the weight room. He was going to set his all-time record on squats. And he got into the squat rack, thankfully. And, he, and back then, we used to put a bench between our legs and go down, which is a terrible idea, but it's what we used to do. And so he was sure he could handle that kind of weight. And so he, he got up in there and was doing fine, all until he bent his knees. And man, that weight just took right over. And just, it was just going to take him all the way to the floor. The good news was he was in the squat rack. So it caught the barbell. The bad news was that bench between his legs was only slightly lower than the squat rack. And it just pressed his face into the pad of the bench. And uh, we were very helpful as Jim was going, guys, get this thing off me. Come on, guys, this isn't funny. Uh, He was wrong. It was incredibly funny. Um, And he, he learned the hard way that weight was too much for him to handle. Sin can be just like that. We have temptations, we have things, we have weaknesses, we have habits. We, sometimes we think we can handle them. We can trifle with them. We can play with them. And I won't succumb to something like that or it won't go too far or I don't have to be careful. I can handle this until we're trapped under the weight of our own failure. And you know, when we get there, if we'll pay attention, what we learn, that our biggest failure was not at the end when we sort of bent our legs and fell. Our biggest mistake was back when we thought we could handle what we were trifling with. This morning in the book of Matthew, I want to study with you a very famous example of just such a situation. Where we're going to pick up is just after the the Lord's Supper. Just after Jesus led his disciples through a very bizarre Passover celebration. It would have been a very weird evening and it's going to get weirder for the disciples. And Jesus is going to warn his disciples of a failure that's coming, especially Peter. And Peter's going to become the example of of how dangerous it is to try and trifle with something that Jesus will tell us we are up against. It's destructive. I want to tell the story of Peter's failures all at once. So to do that, we're going to have to skip around a little bit in the book of Matthew. If you see the the scripture reading, what we're going to read first is the prediction of of Peter's failures. And then we're going to skip over some stuff that we'll come back to starting next week because I want to skip toward the end of this chapter where we see the, 
the results of those things. So that's why we're going to skip around a bit. If you have a Bible open, you can turn it to Matthew chapter 26. We're going to be in verses uh, 31 through 35. I'm going to click one time on there, Seth, and then I think I'll be okay. Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verse 31, reads this way. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike down the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. But after I've been raised, I'll go ahead of you to Galilee. But Peter said to him, Even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to Peter, Truly I say to you that this very night before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. All the disciples said the same thing too. Now skip down to verse 69 in the same chapter. Later in that same evening, now Peter was sitting outside the courtyard of the high priest. And a servant girl came to him and said, You too were with Jesus the Galilean. But Peter denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you are talking about. When he had gone out to the gateway, another servant girl saw him and said to those who were there, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again Peter denied it, this time with an oath. I do not know the man. A little later, The bystanders came up and said to Peter, Surely you too are one of them, for even the way you talk gives you away. Then Peter began to curse and to swear or take another oath. I do not know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter, remembering the word which Jesus has said, Before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. He went out and wept bitterly. Back in verse 31, where we begin, the Last Supper has just happened. The the disciples and Jesus sang a hymn. Jesus has led them east out of town across the Kidron Valley. They're climbing the Mount of Olives. And Jesus turns and says to the whole group, This night you'll all fall away because of me. For it is written, I'll strike the shepherd and the sheep will will be scattered. Jesus makes a prediction here. It's the first prediction of today's passage. It won't be the last. His prediction is, you're all going to run away. But notice why. You're all going to run away because of me. You're all going to run away tonight, and your goal will be to put distance between yourself and me. You're going to abandon me. And that's not the first time this has been predicted. Jesus quotes from the book of Zechariah next. And I want to show you the whole verse from Zechariah. This was written, give or take, 500 years before Jesus was born. 500 years before the night we're studying, God predicted through the prophet Zechariah. Here's what God said, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, And against the man who is my associate or the one who's close to me or my colleague, declares the Lord of hosts, strike the shepherd that the sheep may be scattered. Do you hear what was predicted 500 years before Jesus in that passage? This is the God of the universe who has unsheathed 
the sword of his wrath. And he says, I'm going to strike the man who is, this translation says, my associate, the one who is close to me, the one who is my colleague. What kind of a man could call himself a colleague, a peer, an associate of the God of the universe? Only a man who is also God. Jesus, or God says, I'm going to strike that man and the sheep will scatter. That's the prediction Jesus makes. It's just reiterating. I know you guys are going to do this. I know it's going to happen. A, because I'm God, and B, because 500 years ago, my father said it would happen. Now, who would you put your money on if there was a, a contest of predictive ability, who would you bet on if we were going to have a contest to see who can predict things the best and Jesus was one of the entrants into the contest, who would you put your money on? Who do you think would be the best predictor of stuff to come? Jesus or like anyone else who's ever lived? Wouldn't you bet on Jesus? What's interesting about the first part of this passage is our guy Peter gets himself into a prediction contest against Jesus. Jesus has said, you're all going to run away. And Peter says, oh, contraire. <laughs> they might run away. But let me tell you something. Old Pete here will never fall away. Everyone else might, but I won't. Isn't it kind of ridiculous to get into a predicting contest with Jesus? What would make Peter do that? What is it inside of Peter that would make him decide it was a good idea to get into a prediction contest, a prophecy contest with the one he called the Christ and the Son of God? It's self-confidence and pride. And that reminds me, I forgot to turn my phone off. Did anybody hear that? Uh, Self-confidence and pride. Peter is more confident in himself and his ability to hang in there. He's more confident in his self-discipline and his morality. He's more confident in himself than he is in a prediction of Jesus Christ, than the Word of God. This re reminds me of, of something important. I know that this world and psychology and every bit of self-help literature out there will tell you that what you need almost more than anything else in this world is self-confidence. You need a high self-esteem. That's what you need. And I'm not going to tell you that what you really need is the opposite of that, to think you're the worstest and the most awful and I think I'll go eat worms. You don't need that either. That's bad also. But the Bible warns us that self-confidence and self-esteem and thinking I can do this and, I'm the, and I, can, I can achieve and invites a kind of weight we cannot hold up ourselves. The world will teach us we can't hold up. The God of the universe has a vested interest in teaching me, Maxwell, you can't do this on your own. You know why? Because my purpose 
is to glorify the one who made me. And when I put my hope in my self-confidence, I'm always trying to glorify the one God made and not the one who made me. And when my focus is on glorifying me and I'm good enough and I can achieve high enough and I have enough self-discipline, God has a vested interest to teach me that that is not true so that I will glorify him and not me. That's Peter's problem, self-confidence. And Peter's confidence is pride. Doesn't Peter, according to what he says here, doesn't Peter seem to believe that he is made of better stuff than the rest of the disciples? Isn't that what he says? The rest of these weaklings might fall away, but not me, Lord. Peter's pride makes him want to stand out among his peers in a positive way. That doesn't sound so bad, right? He just wants to be better in a good way. He wants to be better morally. He wants to be better in his devotion to Christ. And he wants to stand out as better than his peers in those ways. What could possibly be wrong with that? You know what's wrong with it? When you feed pride like that, it grows and you take it with you. Because we know how this story ends. Peter has a kind of pride that makes him want to stick out in a positive way. Which seems to be okay when he's with his good friends. He wants to stand out in his devotion and his morality. Problem is, in a few verses, he's going to be in a different crowd. And because his desire is not to glorify Christ, but to stick out as being great, when he's in with a different crowd, that same pride that here makes him want to stick out in a good way, that same pride will turn into self-preservation and will keep him from glorifying Christ when it's difficult. Because Peter is stuck wanting not to glorify Christ, but to glorify Peter. And in the right situation, in a temporary basis, that might seem good, but it's not. It's pride. And it's dangerous. So we've heard Jesus' first prediction. You're all going to run away. Peter's prediction, no, I won't. And then Jesus offers a counter prediction in verse 34. It's like Peter hears Jesus' counter prediction and kind of goes, oh, please, Pete. Come on, Rocky. I, I see your lousy prediction and I, now I raise you even a worse one. He says, not only will you run, everybody's going to run away, but you and your pride, I tell you the truth, it's already dark. It's already late at night before the sun comes up, before the rooster crows. You are going to deny that the two of us even met, Peter. And you're going to do that three times. Um, threefold repetition in the Bible is used to, for emphasis, for completeness. Like the, uh, the, the, the living creatures, those angelic beings that surround the throne of God, they don't merely say that God is holy, do they? Even though they'd be right, what do they say? 
He's holy, holy, holy. He's completely, absolutely holy. What Jesus is predicting is, Peter, you're going to completely and absolutely deny Christ as hard as you can do it. If Peter's paying attention, what should his response be? Right then. Peter, you are, you, are, you are walking down a road where you are going to completely and absolutely deny we've ever met. What should his response be? He should throw himself down before the Lord and say, if you say I am that weak, then I must be. You, will you be my strength here? Will you help me? Will you show me how I can avoid the path that you are telling me I am on? But he doesn't. He's self-confident. Peter, he, Peter ups the ante, even if I must die with you, I will never deny you. And don't let the rest of the disciples too far off the hook because they were saying the same thing. Now is where we skip forward to verse 69 to see how, uh, to see who, this is where we find out who is better at predicting stuff. Jesus or Peter? And in the least surprising news in this whole book, Jesus is better at predicting things than Peter is. Here's what we've skipped over and what we'll be studying over the next couple of weeks. Jesus has been arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, um, and he's been taken to uh, the house of Caiaphas, the high priest. And so where we pick up, Peter has followed at a distance. Um, he's outside. Jesus is inside that house where Jesus his trial has begun. But what we're going to see today is Peter's outside and Jesus isn't the only one on trial. Peter's on trial. And Peter's going to be found guilty. Peter's going to do exactly what Jesus said. He's going to deny Jesus three times and they crescendo. He does it with more passion and more gusto each time. Verses 69 and 70. Read this way. Now, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. A slave girl came up to Peter and said, you were one of those guys with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it in front of them all. He said, I don't know what you're talking about. Denial number one. Happens again a few minutes later where Peter denies Jesus again. This time he adds an oath. Matthew doesn't tell us what the oath is is. But verse 71, he went out into the gateway of the courtyard. A different servant girl saw him and said to the people there, hey, this guy, Jesus was, was, or this guy was with Jesus the Nazarene. He denied it with an oath. Um, we're not told what the oath is, but it would have been something like this. He would probably call it on the name of God. We would say, I swear to God, I do not know Jesus. Or as God, with God as my witness, I don't know this man you were talking about. Denial number two. Well, the people in the courtyard keep talking. Somebody brings up Peter's accent. This guy talks like he's from the country. And we're there in Jerusalem. Jesus and all the disciples were from out in the sticks, out in the Tulis, in Galilee. And if you're paying attention how this is a trial, here's what we're going to have so far. We have, the, we have the testimony of two witnesses and we have some circumstantial evidence, his accent, 
And that's enough to convict. And it's like Peter knows it. So he ratchets up the emotion of his denial because he doesn't want to be condemned. He is trying to put distance between himself and Jesus. So the crowd, somebody in the crowd comes up and says, you really are one of them too. Even your accent gives them away. And at that point, Jesus, excuse me, at that point, Peter began to curse and he swore with an oath saying, I do not know the man. He still takes an oath or some sort of as God is my witness. When Matthew tells us that Peter cursed, it doesn't mean he said bad words. That's how we use the word curse. He called down a curse. And he either would have called down a curse on himself or on Jesus. We're not told which. In the Greek, if your Bible makes a decision and says he began to call down curses on himself, they've made a decision in the translation that really isn't there. Here's what this would have been like. If Peter called down the curse on himself, he would have said something like this. I swear to God, I do not know Jesus, and may I be damned if I'm not telling the truth. If he called a curse down on Jesus, it would have said something like this. With God as my witness, I do not know him. Jesus can go to hell for all I care. That's an oath with a curse. And if any of that sounded shocking, it was supposed to. Because this is an example of blowing it in the biggest way possible. Which is why the next thing we read, as soon as the words come out of Peter's mouth, somewhere in the night he hears a rooster crowing, And he remembers what Jesus said, before a rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And and Peter runs out of that courtyard and falls apart. He weeps bitterly. He falls apart. Why? Is this just guilt? Is he just doing the, why am I so stupid that we've all done? I think it's possible. I can't say this dogmatically for sure, but I think it's possible one reason Peter falls apart so badly is because maybe he remembers another prediction Jesus predicted. It hasn't been that long since Peter heard Jesus predict this one. Whoever denies me before people, I will deny him also before my Father in heaven. If Peter did anything, didn't he do this? Whoever denies me before people, if you glance back up into the text, Matthew makes it very clear. He denied it in front of all of them. Harder, more passionately, more fervently. Maybe that's in Peter's mind when he goes and falls apart outside. So what now for Peter? Jesus is good at predicting stuff. Jesus predicted, whoever denies me before people, I'm going to deny him before my Father in heaven. So is Peter doomed? Is Peter lost? Anybody noticed I skipped one verse as we studied through this passage? I did. I did it on purpose. Saved it for the end. And here's why. 
You don't have to raise your hand, but anybody in here ever really, really blow it? Anybody in here ever fail so badly, so repeatedly, that you begin to get thoughts like, if God knows what I've done, there's no way God could ever take me back. There's a reason the story of Peter shows up in the Gospels. He is the example of blowing it at the highest level. He stood before a crowd of people and cursed Jesus Christ and denied they ever met. We'll go back to the beginning of our passage. We're just going to read the first two verses. So this is Matthew 26, 31 and 32. Verse 32 is the one I skipped. Here's what we read. Then Jesus said to them, This night you will all fall away because of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Don't miss the next part. But, but, there's a great word of Scripture right there. But, after I'm raised, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. They just got done with the Lord's Supper at the table, instituted what we call communion. And Jesus, he wanted to make sure the disciples knew what I'm about to do, I'm going to do for you. He broke the bread into little pieces. Remember, if you were here last week, he put a little piece of bread in every one of his friend's hands and said, I want you to know this is my body broken for you. And then the very next words after that passage are, you are going to blow it tonight, boys. And then does Jesus say that you, you are all, on this night, you are going to all fall away from me. And then does he say, and if you dare, don't you come crawling back to me later. If you run away from me, if you deny me, if you're too scared to stick with me, if you're not self-disciplined and strong enough to hang in there when the going gets tough, I am done with you. Is that what Jesus says next? No, he puts a little piece of bread in their hand and says, I'm going to do this for you, and I know you're going to fail, but I'm not done with you. After you do, and I go pay for those sins, I want you to know I'm going to go ahead of you into Galilee, which means I want you to follow. When we get to chapter 28, the resurrection part of the gospel of Matthew. It's like, this is sort of the main idea. I'm going to ruin it now, but so act surprised when we get there, okay? Let's read. This is chapter 28, the very end of this, uh, of this book. This is the resurrection. The women have gone to the tomb. The stone, the stone has rolled away. They meet an angel. And the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has been raised, just as he said. Come and see the place where he was lying. Then, ladies, go quickly and tell his disciples he's been raised from the dead. He's going ahead of you into Galilee. You will see him there. Go tell the boys it's time to come back to Jesus. So they take off. They're doing what they said. It's like Jesus can't wait. But Jesus meets these ladies on the road and says, greetings, and they come to Jesus and they hold on to his feet and they worship him. And Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell those idiots who ran away from me. Is that what he says? No, thank you. 
Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. They're going to see me there. In the other, in the other uh, gospels we read, Mark says, go tell my brothers and Peter. I can't wait to see you again, boys. Come on. I'm not done with you. We got a world to change. I know, I knew ahead of time you were going to fail like that. But you have not out the blood of God. And you have not out my love for you. You just have to come back. Jesus gives the invitation before the failure. I love this passage. Because it reminds us that people who really love Jesus can really, really blow it. They shouldn't want to. They shouldn't try to. But we can. And when you begin to say in your head, whether you formulate the words like this or not, but when you begin to think, I would never fall like that. I, I have too much self-discipline. I have too much morality and willpower. I could never go there. You've actually taken a very big step toward actually going where you said you wouldn't. God is not glorified in my strength. God is glorified when I admit my weakness and I cling to the one who is strong. People who love Jesus can really, really blow it. The other thing this passage reminds us ahead of time is Jesus will always want us back. Always the believer in Jesus Christ has never outrun his grace and his love. He always wants us back. There's never a time when he says, I've had it with you. I am done with you. I don't want you anymore. There is none of that with Jesus. So, when there's distance between me and the Lord Jesus, it's, it's not because he is done with me. Like my sin literally can no longer separate me from the love that is in Christ Jesus. And there's no more condemnation for me because I'm in Christ Jesus. So it's like it's not my actual sin that's keeping me away from Jesus it's, my, it's the pride I continue to have that does. That either tells me my sin is too big. He couldn't possibly forgive that one. Or it's the pride that keeps me from confessing that my sin is actually sin. It's my pride that keeps me from saying that is my problem. It's my decisions and my sin. And I want to confess that and turn and go toward Jesus. That's what separates me from him. It's not my sin. It has no power to do that. My stubbornness can keep me from admitting my sin is sin. You know, maturity in Christ Jesus really isn't measured in how good I am at like convincing other people I don't have sin or that I stick out in a good way. Maturity as a Christian is probably better measured in how willing am I to confess when I've blown it to my God, to myself, 
and to the person I've hurt. Jesus has never stopped giving this invitation. I know you're struggling with a sin right now, sinner. I know you have blown it, my little one. I'm going to go ahead of you and wait. I'm going to the mountain in Galilee. I have paid for your sin. I do not condemn you. But you have to take the step of confessing your sin as sin and just coming to meet me. My arms will be open when you come. But it is not your sin that separates us. That's been dealt with. It might be something you love more than me. It might be something you refuse to give up. But I'll be ahead of you on that mountain waiting for you to come because I am not done with you. Amen? Let's pray. Our gracious, gracious Father and Lord Jesus Christ, grace really is amazing. God, thank you that even though you know our failures before we fail them, you know our pride before the fall it causes. You will never, ever forsake us. You'll never be done with us. God, whoever of my brothers and sisters and friends and visitors who are you have brought sin issues to their mind this morning. I pray you would encourage them to, to lay those down, admit to themselves, to whoever else they may need to confess to, that this is my problem. I pray you'd lead us to confess what we need to confess, repent where we need to repent, and I thank you more than anything that you will welcome us back. There is still a world that needs to be changed and you want to use obedient disciples to do it. Thank you for the grace that saves and for your love which never ends. Thank you for the grace that's greater than all our sin. And we pray all these things in the name of him who guaranteed it for us. Amen.